This is episode 66 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm talking with Susan Archer. Susan was born in rural southeastern Montana and was raised on a cattle ranch. Susan learned to ride shortly after she learned to walk because her family used horses to work the cattle. She fell in love with all animals, but especially with horses, and became active in 4-H in rodeo. Susan barrel raced until she graduated from college and figured out that she needed an easier and more lucrative way to make a living. She ended up as an engineer. About 20 years ago, Susan told her husband that she wanted to start riding again and use the yellow pages to find a nearby barn. It turned out to be a saddle seat barn with some American saddlebred show horses. Susan was smitten and has been showing and writing about saddlebreds ever since. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horsebook authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horsebook. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horsebooks, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am so excited to have Susan Archer on the show with me. This is going to be a fun episode. She is a saddlebred enthusiast, and she's partnering with myself and several other authors on a really cool box set project called Horses, Hearts, and Havoc, which we're going to talk about here in a moment too. But Susan, or we're call, we're going to call her Sue because that's what she likes. Hi, Sue. Welcome to the show. Hi, Carly. Thanks for having me. This is really going to be fun. Been looking forward to it. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, Susan and I, Sue and I have run in the same circles, uh, horse book author circle for a while, and this is actually the first time we're getting to meet each other. So I get to learn a whole bunch about Sue today too, which I'm excited about. And as you know, how I always love to start the show off is by asking the authors how their love affair with horses began. So Sue, can you talk to us about your love affair with horses? Oh gosh, all day long, actually. <laughs> like most of us, I think it started at birth. I was raised on a cattle ranch in southeastern Montana. So we used horses every day just to move cattle around, etc. And for most people, I think it was a vehicle. But for me, it was an adoration from first moment. And I used it as a way to get away from all of the dusting and house chores that my mother wanted me to do. So <laughs> I would always race out to the barn and, and spend time with the horses. And when I was about 10 years old, I joined 4-H. And in Montana in 4-H, you start with a yearling. And you you have that horse project every year. So as a yearling, you show it in hand. As a two-year-old, it's under saddle. As a three-year-old, it's crazy because an 11-year-old kid is riding a two-year-old horse. It's <laughs> insane. But it, but it worked out. And I made every mistake you can make with a horse. He was a total pet. He was completely unenthusiastic about learning anything. But I learned a lot. And that just, I just kind of followed that on. And my dad realized I was serious about it. He helped me buy a pretty fancy barrel horse. And I rodeoed through high school and college. And the rest is history. 
Oh, wow. You live the dream. Montana <laughs> cattle ranch, horses out back in the barn, galloping away from chores in the house, moving on to 4-H, being handed a yearling and growing up alongside of it, even though you make a whole bunch of mistakes. Like, And then barrel racing. Oh, my goodness. Like You, you ran the gamut. Like True authentic cowgirl going on right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, but it wasn't the pretty side of Montana. It was southeastern. So that, you know, it does come with some negatives. <laughs> <laughs> as as does anywhere, I would imagine. But at least there were horses in the backyard. And, and I'm, I'm much the same. I just sort of came out of the womb loving horses. And uh, it just sticks with you. And as I was galloping around, you know, learning more about you and gathering up information for the interview questions, th I found this fascinating. So, so I'm imagining you grew up pretty much with quarter horses, right? Barrel, barrel yes. racing. Yeah. So mm -hmm. quarter, quarter horses were, you know, your original starting place. But uh, later in life, you moved to Colorado and you decided, I imagine you, you took a break, which I'm sure you'll get into a little bit here, but you decided you wanted to start riding, riding again. And you found a local riding barn in the yellow pages. I mean, this, this, is, this, this is the thing that we used to look up information in uh, for those of you who are a little younger. <laughs> big fat books about this big that they threw on your front porch that had all the information for your local community. Uh, and, and then this barn just happened to have American saddlebreds and taught saddle seed. So this is a so you took this on and, and you fell in love with saddlebreds. Can you talk a little bit about how saddlebreds started becoming the love of your life? Well, because of the rodeo thing, I liked fast horses mm. and I liked interesting horses and I liked spicy horses. And so it it was very different because as you can imagine on the ranch, you know, you could barely get a horse brushed off in time to put his saddle on it, you know, Western saddle. And, and you just kind of gathered up whatever broken equipment you had and away you went. But I walked into this saddlebred barn and it was a show barn. It was the most awe-inspiring, eye-opening experience ever. I mean, it was pristine clean. The horses all were in their stalls, you know, their tails were done, their manes didn't have any cockleburrs in them. They were just absolutely stunning. And they're huge and they're interesting and they're curious. And so the the trainer led a horse out and it was just in like a training snaffle bit bridle. But there was one going around the ring in a double bridle and they we ride these cutback flat saddles, and I'd never even seen one before. But she she drug up the mounting block, and she pointed at the horse, and I acted like I knew what I was doing because I didn't want to look too stupid. And I climbed on it, and that horse just strode off. It was the most interesting experience ever. It I, I was smitten from the very first moment. And so it didn't take very long for my husband. He, he's so supportive. He's mm. not a rider, but he's so supportive. And he and I decided we wanted to get into it. So we bought a pleasure horse and we tried to figure it out. And our very first year of owning Saddlebreds, we went to the World Championship Horse Show. Oh my goodness. And long story short, they, it was the first time I'd seen a gated Saddlebred. And these horses were spinning around the ring as fast as you can imagine. And they were gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I mean, the tails were like feet long. 
and they were perfectly groomed and they were going just as fast as you know my quarter horse used to go it was crazy so i was in love it didn't take us long to figure out we wanted a gated saddlebred and and we bought one and we left it in kentucky so our saddlebreds are being trained in kentucky we live in colorado and we show them but for any of your um listeners or viewers who who haven't seen a saddlebred before they're they're awesome they're big they're curious they're interesting they're snorty they're insanely athletic mm -hmm. so i do have a picture because oh, i yes. Yeah, because I brought a prop, right? This is a saddlebred foal, and I don't know if you can see it or not. All the way extended out there, and the hind leg is all the way up. They come out of the womb moving like that. Yeah, yeah. Some people think it's, you know, the help of farriers and shoeing or not. So that's why I wanted to show a foal. Mm -hmm. They're actually born this way. They have incredible motion. So I, I love this picture because it demonstrates that it's a, it's how that horse is actually built. Their neck comes out of their shoulders higher. It helps them get a lot more action in the front. And, and it's just the most exciting ride ever. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm a complete enthusiast, but I did come to it kind of late. That's really exciting. I mean, usually the way it, way it usually works is that you kind of stick with the breed of your youth. And so transitioning to a completely different breed is, is kind of unusual and really, really neat. And I've heard they're very, very comfortable to ride. Is that right? They are, but especially a gated horse. It's mm. like a speed walk. I mean, if they're doing it right, your head isn't moving. You're just gliding along it say 25 miles an hour and you're just sitting there i mean it feels like you have an egg beater underneath you on the front end because mm -hmm. they have so much action in the front mm -hmm. but in the back it's just a slide so it's a four beat gate and it's it's just truly comfortable and in a show ring it's a lot of work because you're running a double bridle so you're running a snaffle and a curb and you're trying to keep that horse collected up under you like you would almost any breed mm -hmm. so there's a lot of leg and a lot of seat on that skinny little saddle and <laughs> it's a lot of work and I think that's why I got so excited about it is because you never master it mm. that's that's a cool way to look at it. You know, it's like good exercise for you, but you have to be in complete connection with the horse to make all the moving parts work and make it show correctly. And and you've become a very avid shower. I mean, there are amazing pictures of you, which I, which I'd like to include in the show notes, and I will of of you showing you know regularly saddlebred horses. So what is your uh, because there are quite an array of, of classes you can show a saddlebred in, right? What yeah. is your like specialty? My specialty is amateur gated. So the very first show I was at, I didn't realize that that was kind of a little bit out there. Most people would start with a pleasure horse and kind of get used to the gates and get used to what it's like. I'd never been in a show ring before, you oh know. I I didn't know how you ran a class. I didn't realize everyone was in there at the same time, going one way and then turning around, going the other. <laughs> I had no idea, right? <laughs> so, yeah, my my first show trotted in on a gated horse, and 
had no idea. So <laughs> I made more mistakes than you can even imagine. But I had a really pa a patient um, trainer, mm -hmm. and I had a really generous reader. He helped me buy a horse. I think he felt sorry for me. And he helped me buy a, a young gated horse named Piecrest. Mm -hmm. And Piecrest is always a crowd favorite. And she, I bought her in, um, I guess it was 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. She was a four-year-old and she taught me how to ride and she had no patience. This mare, when it came time to change a gate, she was dancing and moving and having a great time. So I didn't always place the best, <laughs> but I always had fun. Uh -huh. So uh, Highcrest was probably my primary teacher. Oh, that's amazing. And, you, you know, and I think you hit, it, you hit the nail right on the head. It's the most important thing is always having fun when, when you're, when you're riding your horses or, or really in anything you're doing in life, you know, it's not always about the, the competitiveness and the, the winning and the blue ribbons. A lot of time it's just the life experience and the sheer joy that you have being able to do these things. I mean, showing, there's nothing like showing a horse. I mean, you have to deal with nerves, you have to deal with, you know, transitions, you have to deal with keeping it all together and looking right. And, having your horse in the right space so there's like there's so many life lessons that involve horses and and just being with them so i think you hit the nail on the head there and this is the coolest part your falling in love with with saddlebreds led to you have written four fiction books about showing saddlebreds which is which is really cool you have steak night showtime victory pass and leg up so talk to us about your books like where did this where did this bubble up from I have a vivid imagination <laughs> <laughs> I think my husband would say too vivid but I just thought it was interesting to try to share with people this whole idea of what it's like to be in a competitive show barn mm. and and so each one of the books is about one competition year, exactly. So it starts the night of or the morning after the World Championship. In the World Championship, the last class is always the five-gated open World Championship. And it's the premier class. It's what everybody goes to the show for. Everybody wears a gown and they're all snazzed up crazy that right awesome <laughs> uh, it was it was really shocking for someone you know originally from montana who you know you were levi's when mm -hmm. you were around horses so mm -hmm. my first world championship i wore khakis and thought i was dressed up <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and i i think i would do the same thing you know and, and yeah. that's the interesting thing these big shows they all have their you know sort of different protocols and you know and you're kind of opening up the world so so everybody can see through these books I mean I would have worn jeans in my cowgirl boots the same the same way <laughs> <laughs> exactly and so so I thought it would be fun to you know from a pure fiction perspective try to put together stories that are interesting about trainer, owner, horse combinations and, you know, the great things that can happen and the misfortunes that can befall you and, and sort of the struggles you can have. Of course, it's over-dramatized, mm -hmm. like 
everything in life. So there's always a bad guy and there's always a good guy and there's always some horrible accident. But what I try to do is I try to educate a non-saddle bred or a non-gated rider into what it really feels like mm. to try to run that bridle and you know, your first time in the ring, how scary that is, and manage the traffic and deal with the horse and hear your trainer telling you, more curb, no, not that curb. <laughs> so so I wanted to find a more entertaining way to share how much fun that is mm-hmm. and how like as you said earlier, you know, shows are stressful mm-hmm. and and to try to tell that in a way that was interesting. And so each one of the books talks about that, but it's it also tries to introduce some really complex themes, things like genetic diseases or you know, how someone with a disability might need to transition from, you know, riding a saddle to driving a horse in a cart. Mm-hmm. So the stories are just that. They're just stories. They're pure fiction. They're a composite of what I know and what I wish I know. <laughs> I wish I knew. That's fantastic. I mean, so so basically, it kind of sounds to me like you wrote the book that you might want to read, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is kind of like the same thing I did because I kind of cover the Western pleasure world and, and the paint horses and the quarter horses on, on my side because there weren't a whole lot of books about the competitive side of things, which is what I like that I hear so much here. I mean, you are turning people on to celebrates, but you're also explaining the intricacies of what goes on in the show barn and, and you're sort of telling a story that you would like to read, right? Is Is that... Is that right? The story I wish I had read. There right. probably wouldn't have <laughs> I wouldn't have been quite so shocked the first mm. time that I went to a show or went into a, a show barn. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's 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 really interesting to me and it's fascinating that so many people kinda got turned on to it. The first book that I wrote, which is Steak Night, I really I really thought Oh, I'm so scared. But I, I put on my Facebook page, hey, everybody, I kind of tried to write a book, you know, you can get it on Amazon. <laughs> and and it's sold like crazy. I mean, thousands of people went after this book, which was crazy. It helped that it was only 99 cents. <laughs> <laughs> that always helps. But, but, but still, but, I mean, there was yeah. an audience there waiting for for, for this. Who knew, right? And they're not all saddlebred people. In fact, they're people from India and Japan and Germany and Australia. And that in itself is kind of shocking. But, you know, they're Morgan people and Arab people and people that just like reading about horses. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of surprising. I got so much encouragement. I decided to try it again and again and again. And, and it, that's been really gratifying. That's amazing. And I have to ask, so did you always enjoy creative writing? Did the story come to you in a, in a dream and you're like, I have to get this done on paper? Like what, what really compelled you? Did something, your muse just show up and you type something down and you're like, oh my gosh, I think I might be writing a book. Like what was in, like what made it have to start? That's a really good question. I, I'm an engineer. So mm-hmm. I'm very analytical. I'm very process oriented. And so my 
I, I do write, but I write technical documents. Mm. So I mentioned to my husband on the way home from the World Championships one year, I said, hey, wouldn't it be really cool to try to, you know, fictionalize this and tell a story and we could have a bad guy and his name would be X and, you know, he would do these terrible things and people would start to hate him and they'd try to get even, but, you know, and just started making stuff up. And he said, you should write a book. <laughs> so it's my husband's fault. I started just by building this spreadsheet because I'm an engineer. Mm-hmm. So I had a big spreadsheet that had, these are all the barns, and this is where they're at, and these are their names, and, you know, this is who owns them, and, you know, this is their history, and then another sheet would be, and these are all the horses, and this is how old they are, and this is their color, and this is who owns them, and this is how they placed in every show, and, you know, so it just became kind of a big puzzle to solve, mm. and and it was it was kind of a dream because you just sort of visualize how the story is going to go together. Mm-hmm. And, and so you like visualize a scene and I, my process is really structured. I kind of wake up in the morning and I lay in bed until I like visualize the scene, almost like a television serial. Mm-hmm. And I get up, go right to my office like six o'clock in the morning and I read the last chapter to make sure it's continuous mm-hmm. and then I spit out that scene and that's the chapter and then I'm done for the day. <laughs> that's beautiful. I mean that's a wonderful routine and and I, I imagine you do you do this every day. Is that right? I do it every day that I am not doing real work. I'm still mm-hmm. a consultant, so I'm still doing real work. Mm-hmm. So when the clients are quiet, then I can kind of go back to the book. But yeah, that's that's really great, though. It's like uh, rather than having to think about the magnitude of the entire book, you are just you know really being with the previous chapter, visualizing where you want to take the next chapter writing that and then saying, yes, I did my creative writing for the day. And then you can move on and do other things. That's a, that's a beautiful way to do it. I I try to write chapter by chapter too. And I find that it's a lot easier when you do it in short chunks rather than trying to think you need to topple the whole thing or tackle the whole thing all at once. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think the challenge then is just to stay on your trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. So, so starting with the end in mind. So I'm really disciplined about making sure that I have an outline before I start that whole writing process. Mm -hmm. I know who's going to what show. I know how they're going to finish. I know why. Because I I need to tie that in later with something interesting that happens. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it does, it's creative writing and it's, visualizing and all of that but the really fun part of it is that puzzle part mm-hmm. of, of trying to be fresh and authentic and interesting and tell a story that really ends up getting together that is great I, I that is such good information for fellow authors or aspiring authors to hear kind of how you how you structure these and is there a message in the steak night series that you hope readers will walk away from your books having gotten? Well, I think, I I don't know, it's really mostly about entertainment, Mm -hmm. but I I really do try to educate a little bit. I try to 
help people understand that, you know, maybe how you put a harness on mm-hmm. and why you put a harness on in that way, mm-hmm. or perhaps why someone who is disabled might choose a pleasure cart instead of a fine harness cart, mm-hmm. you know, or, or perhaps what it's like if you've got a horse that's shying away from something on the rail, why you need to use, you know, the, the inside rein to push them over rather than the outside. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and trying to inform somebody about that in kind of a soft, entertaining way with a rider who did it wrong and a trainer, no, no, the other left <laughs> on the rail is, is kind of the way it happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so the, the only message is one that these horses, regardless really of the, of the breed, but horses are accessible mm-hmm. in, and everyone is out there making mistakes and trying to figure it out. And it can still be fun in spite of all that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the primary message. I will say, though, that I'm really careful to make sure that my books are they might not be squeaky clean because there's always a bad guy, but they're definitely accessible to to young readers because I think a lot of people that are picking up horse books might be that horse crazy girl that I was when I was 10 and 11. So mm-hmm. they're definitely safe for that kind of a reader. So like, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, like you treading lightly in the in that in that realm because a lot of the horse lovers are are a little bit on the younger side sometimes. That makes a whole lot of sense. And what would you say? So you write equestrian fiction, right? But would you say it's is it equestrian suspense, equestrian mystery, equestrian romance? Like where would you say you lie on the genre when it comes to writing equestrian fiction? I would say it's maybe a very strange, light version of suspense. Mm-hmm. You maybe don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, there's there aren't any dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, you know, very little romance. It's probably a light version of, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen to Johnny? You know, mm-hmm. is somebody going to figure out that he poisoned the feed? Mm-hmm. That sort of a level of suspense. And I like that. It's, you wrote the story you wanted to tell. You featured the breed that you are in love with. You featured the competitive world that you know. And you, you know, you, you to, you're telling a story. And I really wanted to talk about your covers. Your covers are really beautiful. And I think you've got a few of your books there. And, and maybe we could I talk do. about the inspiration for the covers of your books. This is the first cover, and this is a photo that was taken by a friend of mine. Her name is Avis Gerdler. She does um, horse show photography, but this happens to be of the red roses and the winning ribbon for the World Championship Gated Horse Horse Show that I talked about earlier. And she gave me the the freedom to publish this on the cover of the book. So that is the first one. And then the second one, I spoke earlier about my mare, Piecrest, mm-hmm. who now has a new owner. She just got a new owner a few months ago. And actually, I'm really happy for her. It's a perfect owner. So this cover is of my mare, Piecrest. And it was taken from uh, a young 
um, artist named Allison Birds mm -hmm. uh, did this for me as graphite and watercolor. And she actually used one of Pie Crest's horse show pictures to do this original art. And then she gave me the rights to put it on the cover of the book. But I actually have this piece of art framed in, in our house. And this is Pie Crest. And yeah, she's still, she's 15 years old. She's amateur gated horse and she is still competing and mostly in Ohio this summer. So I'm That's really proud wonderful. of her. That's wonderful. This is the third one. And again, this is also Pie Crest. This is a Victory Pass. And this was a photo that was taken from um, a famous horse show photographer named Doug Shiflett. He does Morgan shows and Arab shows and all kinds of shows. And this is the final one, and I'm really excited about this cover. This is a photo of the 2019 world champion uh, gated horse, and his name is the Daily Lottery. He's a really, really insanely talented wonderful horse he's won in a lot of different divisions but this photo was taken by Brooke Jacobs who's a young horse show photographer and she gave me uh, the rights to use this on the cover of the book but I'm not riding this horse obviously this is somebody, somebody else but the daily lottery if your readers or your listeners rather want to google the name the daily lottery they'll see some crazy insane video so I encourage folks to do that. I'll include a link to some of his videos in, the, in your show notes. So, so people can go straight there and, and check out some of the videos. I mean, in this picture, he's wearing the, uh, what do they, what do they call the roses that they, that they put around their, their necks? Is that the blanket of roses? The blanket right. of roses. Yeah. He's wearing the blanket of roses and his leg is almost up to like his chin. It looks like, like super high stepping and just a beautiful, beautiful picture. So you have a relationship with the photographers in that world and then, and then you can talk to them and say, I'm writing these books about our world. And then you work out a way to, to use their photography. Is that, it, that's great. It's great publicity for them, too, I would imagine. Yeah, I think it is. I hope it is. They, they do really good work. And they work so hard that I want to give everybody credit because they stand there with those big, heavy cameras for mm -hmm. hours. <laughs> so uh, we appreciate their hard work. Absolutely. Well, they, they capture us at our very best, you know, when we're in the show ring. That's usually when you're, well, at least supposed to have it all together. Yeah. It doesn't always <laughs> go that way, but. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, if only. Yeah, but, but your covers are so beautiful. I want to make sure to, and, and you, you, you did such a good job of putting them uh, in a frame that people who love gated horses would instantly recognize that, you know, not just a horse lover, but someone who in particular knows your breed would be attracted to that. I mean, there's, that's right there, what your books are about. So that was smart marketing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Who knew, right? So are you independently published or, or do you work with a traditional publisher on your books? Which did you choose? Independent. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was shy about it. I always tell people I write stories I don't write literature. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, I was a little shy about perhaps the, the pressure that would come mm -hmm. with a more, a more structured program that you would get from a traditional publisher. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm still working, so I'm kind of doing this a little bit in my spare time. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt like the independent way was the way to go for me. And I think 
you know, there's an obvious trade-off there. I think that I probably would have had a more polished version, particularly of the first book or two. I think I'm getting better at this. So I think, you know, the most recent book is better, even from an editorial standpoint. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm happy with my choice. Oh, yeah. I mean, your books are beautiful. And as an author, I understand how hard we can be on ourselves about putting our creative work into the world. And as an independent author, I under, there is a learning curve and we do get better with every book we publish, you know? So it's, I feel like there's growth from the very first book into the, to the next book. And, and this is like a passion project for you, right? Because you, you weren't like, I'm going to write this book and be a bazillionaire. You're like, I have a story to tell <laughs> and I'm enjoying the process. And, and it's not, and it sounds like that's, that's what it is. This is just you sharing your love of horses through through your books, right? Right, right, exactly. I I really felt like if I could get a hundred people to read the first one, I would just be so lucky and mm -hmm. so grateful. And so yeah, I I didn't start it with any sort of big grand goal mm -hmm. or scheme. I really just kind of started it by mistake <laughs> I feel like that's where sometimes the best stories come from like an idea calls to you and you follow it and then it turns into magic really I mean look what happened for you you said I wrote this book you put it on Facebook and you've got thousands and thousands of readers and and who knew clamor <laughs> and clamoring for more and now you're four books deep did you ever envision it would go like that never yeah. Not in a million years, never, never. But it's, but it's been fun, you know, and, and I've learned a lot along the way as well. Yeah, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing before you publish your first book that you wish you, that you, wish you knew then, what, what would it be after all, all you've been through with your books? I think it would, I would have thought more carefully about things like voice mm. and chance and perspective mm -hmm. but I had to do it that way because I had a specific goal for this one book but once you embark on a series you're kind of stuck with that style mm. you know for better or for worse so I chose a style that was present tense because I wanted the reader to feel the immediacy of being in a situation. I wanted them to, you know, feel what the rider should be feeling when the horse goes a little bit squirrely and in the boring, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I felt I needed present tense. And I was aware that, that I didn't want to head hop, if you know what I mean. So I wanted to tell the story of lots of different teams and how they were changing over time. But I but it's a competition. And so there's strategy that one team wouldn't share with another. Mm. So I, I couldn't know what the other team was doing or what they were thinking unless I adopted that point of view for that chapter. Mm. So, so I crafted it the way I did because I had this first story in my brain, mm -hmm. but it, it's, it's a little jarring for that first reader to get used to the fact that, oh, wait, I have these really short chapters and they're from different points of view, but I have this timeline moving along. 
And I think after maybe the fifth or sixth chapter, people kind of settle into that and it's okay. Mm-hmm. But but at first, it maybe wasn't the most comfortable choice. And you have incredible reviews. I mean, your readers love <laughs> love your books and they love what you what you've done. And it, and I think you're explaining just the journey in general with our first book is you're you're figuring out who you are as an author. You're you're figuring out what your style is. You're figuring out how the characters want their stories to be be told. And you know, I don't I don't think any of that even ever really works itself out until you've actually written your first book because it's an undertaking in and of itself. And, you know, we shall pat our back, pat our backs <laughs> for having actually written a book. But I think that's, that's part of the, the author journey, because as you're flowing into the fourth book, has it gotten, or, you know, you went to the fourth book and then, you know, we're going to talk about where you're going next, but has, has it gotten a little easier for you to kind of, you know, I know who I am as a writer. I know I can do this now kind of thing. Yes. Yes. And, and the characters are maturing. You know, so I keep introducing, you know, especially new horses because the young horses are coming up. And so the stud that won the world championship the first year, you know, his babies are now showing up in the two and three year old classes. And so, so I'm fortunate that I can mature the themes along with some of the equine and, and human characters. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey and it is getting more settled, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, good for you. I mean, this, this, this is exciting. And so you, you said after you wrote your first book, you just kind of, you put it out on Facebook, you were shocked by the reaction from there. Now that you have this series, how are you letting readers know about your books? Do you do anything special? Are you, you know, do you work, would you go to the horse shows and the celebrate shows and take your books with you and let people know you have them available? Is there anything that you're doing that's fun to market your books? I, my friends are going to laugh if they ever see this, but I'm a really shy person. And so I, I don't talk it up. I put it on my Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much all I do. But the American Saddlebred Museum actually stocks the books, and they sell a bunch of them. And so <laughs> that's a wonderful partnership. How did that I come know. about? I don't know. I think someone went in and requested it. I'm not really even sure how it happened. But yeah, it's a great partnership for me. And and I'm lucky. I have lots and lots of Facebook followers, and they are talkers. Mm-hmm. And so they're giving it to people for Christmas and then somebody else is hearing about it. So it's all word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I've been, I've been unbelievably passive about promotion and that's a regret. It's hard mm-hmm. to say, Hey, I think you're going to love this book. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to hear somebody else say it, but it's hard to say it myself. Yeah. And, I think you're not alone in that. I think every author kind of has that that little niggly feeling down in their in their gut, going, "Oh, is this really?" (laughs) You know, it's like it's it's hard, and you know, it's interesting. I don't I don't find you shy at all in this conversation, (laughs) which is, hey, I mean, look at what you're doing. You're being on a podcast. That's a big deal, and and don't underestimate the power of word of mouth. I mean, word of mouth is an incredible thing, and that means that hey, people are really going to like this because your readers are talking about your books and without you having to do 
a whole lot of pushing. It's just sort of happening. And you have a partnership with the Standard Bread Museum. And this is at the Kentucky Horse Park in Kentucky, correct? So they're, they're yeah. your books and selling your books. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Oh, I'm so lucky. Yeah, they're wonderful people there. And, and yeah, if you have any watchers or listeners that haven't yet been to the horse park in Kentucky, mm-hmm. it's outside of Lexington, just on the north side of Lexington. It's, a, it's the equine theme park. So all kinds of different breeds, all kinds of different, you know, events are held there, like the Rolex event is held there and polo matches and all kinds of stuff. So the Saddlebred Museum, definitely hit the Saddlebred Museum if you go to the horse park, that the horse park is a great place to spend a day if you love horses. It is incredible. I've been there. I've been lucky enough to be there several times. I went there uh, for Briar Fest. Now talk about... (laughs) Talk about theme park, like crazy horse people, like Briarfest is where it's at. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you were there for Briarfest, you were probably there at the time of the Fall Classic Saddlebred Show. So in one of the big indoor rings, you would probably have found us because we're usually there the same weekend as Briarfest because we fight all that crazy traffic. Um, <laughs> my goodness, I can't imagine showing my horse uh, while all of that is going on. I mean, these people like paint their cars, they honk their horns, they dress up, they wait in line for hours. Like Briarfest is, is something. <laughs> yeah, which it makes it perfect for saddlebred people. Saddlebred people are the ones that stand on the rail and whistle and scream and yell. And yeah, so and Briarfest is perfect. Okay, yes. well, that, that's the kind of environment, yes, that you would like. And that, and that is exciting. I, I, for, I, I show quarter horses, so I forgot that they're hooting and hollering. I used to go to the world's largest all-breed youth show when it used to be at the Coliseum at the Michigan State Fairgrounds, and which is no longer. But, but I remember it was, that was the coolest part about being at that show is I got to learn about the other breeds. And I remember mm-hmm. the Saddlebreds and, and the Arabians, and I, it was such a different culture with all the, the loudness and the hollering. Now, I have, a, I have a question that I wanted to ask you because I, I am curious, and I don't know the answer to this. Do you know how they braid those neat little braids into the Saddlebred's long manes? What, right. what it, does that signify anything, or is there a history to that? What does that mean? I'm not sure about the history, but the functional, um, the functional power of it is it keeps all that hair out of their eyes when they're going so fast so so most of them have the forelock shaved Mm. and but that's the very first piece of hair in the mane Mm -hmm. that could get into their eyes because the manes are very long Mm -hmm. so you braid it and you wrap that braid around the a piece of the bridle so that it doesn't flop around and it keeps a horse from getting too annoyed by all that hair and they're going so fast, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's fascinating. I have always wanted to ask somebody that question, and I never knew the answer to it. Because, you know, in, in uh, a lot of my children's books that I read growing up and the, the books I have now, they always have the, the braid. And I'm like, what is that for? <laughs> yeah, and they're very precise about how they do it. The trainers, I mean, they follow this history of this red ribboned braid mm-hmm. in the mane mm-hmm. and they all do it exactly the same way and with such precision and everything is clipped exactly the same way I, it's amazing yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of tradition steeped in horses too you know each each horse breed has these little 
intricacies that make their way into the show ring that we all we all do. And sometimes, you know, you you take it for granted. You're like, wow, that is steeped in a long history, you know, and it's just what we do with our horses. So we were just talking about reaching readers. You know, you've had incredible word of mouth. You're on book four. And I, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit too. Like, I really love it when authors unite. That's why I'm, you know, having the the podcast and spotlighting other authors and talking to everyone about their amazing horse books. And this is a great way to reach readers. So you are a, a collaborator on the Horses, Hearts, and Havoc box set. I'm one of the contributors too. It's already hit like three bestsellers. Uh, lists on Amazon, and it's, it's eight authors each contributed a full-length novel to this collection, and it's a cross-genre collection at, at the center, of course, of the horses. But it's mystery, suspense, and romance. So, what, tell us right. why you decided to come on and uh, join us in the box set and and support this project. Well, I, it was because I wanted to learn from all you smart women. <laughs> I. <laughs> I wanted to learn more about how what other people's processes are, mm-hmm. and I wanted to learn more about promotion and more about you know how other people actually think of their writing career, mm-hmm. whether it's a hobby and something that's kind of you know you spin around with you know when you have time like me or or some of the authors in this group are professional authors that's mm-hmm. what they do with their with their profession to pay their rent mm-hmm. and i just thought that there was an awful lot to learn from engaging with people like that and just trying to get better by picking up what other people are doing and trying to leverage it into something that works for me mm-hmm. so i'm really excited about it and i i'm excited because i think that i have a bit of a unique base mm-hmm. i think the people that read Steak Night and my other books are, you know, they're show horse people, saddlebred people, Morgan folks, Arab folks. And and it's different than probably the reader that is more attracted to uh, romance that's set in the West. Mm-hmm. And so that cross-fertilization is really exciting to me. So I'm excited about it. I'm, and I admire all of the hard work that you've been doing to promote it. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you for being a part of it. Yeah, uh, uh, Candace Carabas and I, this was sort of our brainchild uh, like about two years ago when we first met at the American Horse Publications Conference. We got to talking about how we could collaborate and, and work with other authors and, and really get the, you know, the horse book niche kind of get a highlight around it and start working together because I I don't think any author is my competition I look at you know if we stand together we're so much stronger working together and the and you're right like my readers are different from your readers which are different from a reader that might rather do eventing or dressage reading but what's in common through all these books and the thread is horses you know and, and I'm a horse lover so I'm interested in learning all I can about horses despite discipline, despite, you know, genre, I'm just interested in in a good horse story. And I think this is a a great way for readers to be exposed to a bunch of different genres that include horses through a bunch of different authors. And what's really unique, as we were talking about reaching readers, is we've all contributed the first book in all of our series. So when a reader who tries out the Horses, Hearts, and Havoc box set enjoys one of the books and they want more, there's a series for them to continue on with, which is really exciting. So, so thank you for your partnership. I, I'm curious how, 
I'm sure with your first book, it was a little bit longer, but on average, it sounds like you have a really great writing routine and a structure to the way you write your books. Uh, how long on average does it take you to complete one of your novels? Oh, beginning to end with work and everything, it's probably a year, mm-hmm. but it, the vast majority of it is outline time. Mm-hmm. So I only have maybe a hundred days that I'm really writing chapters Mm -hmm. and those hundred days it's only a couple hours every day Mm -hmm. so actually like spitting it out onto paper for you know should avoid that visual but that (laughs) process is is probably really only you know two three hundred hours of work so it goes really fast once you've solved the problem you know, once you have the storyline and, you know, know who's doing what to whom and why. That's really smart. You know, you lay out the, the groundwork and I'm, I'm sure, you know, a lot of that is being organized in a planner and, and part of your engineering background. But, you know, when you know where you're going and you, you can weave it all together a little bit easier with all the colorful language in the, in the format and the structure that you've got planned out. So that's that's really smart. And then your books are... On average, how many how many pages are words? They're between seventy and eighty thousand words. So okay. they average, yeah, yeah. They're short chapters, though, so you'll usually see seventy chapters. Mm-hmm. So they're meant for people who maybe aren't big time readers. You know, they just want to read a little bit here and there. And so they read pretty easily and, and short little bites. I appreciate short chapters. You know, it's like I'm, a, I'm an avid reader and I, I like to finish a chapter before I put a book down or before I go to bed or whatever. And sometimes you're like, oh, well, when is this going to end? So like I actually am a huge appreciator of, of short chapters. I'd rather like blow through like six short chapters wanting to know what's happening more than one like really, really long one. So so I think there's a lot of merit to writing it that way. So I always like to ask this question of, of my fellow authors because the answers are always a little different and there's always a lot of learning in asking these questions. Would you share with us, for you, what has been the best part about being an author? And then on the flip side, what has been the most difficult part of being an author? Oh, gosh. I think the best part is having someone walk up to you and say, Oh my God, I was tired after that chapter because I felt like I rode that class. That's awesome. <laughs> that is the best part. Yeah, because I know then that, you know, not only do they like the book, but, but it's, it's doing what I wanted it to do, mm-hmm. which is giving people a way to be there when they're really maybe not. The hardest part is the release mm-hmm. because I worry so much that it, whether it's any good. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it it is a little bit of the self-judgy part mm-hmm. that is hard to get past. The other part, the hard part about creating is to try to find a way to stay fresh and to stay relevant, but to still be comfortable enough with the topic that it's authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't drive horses. I don't know a lot about harness horses. So that process of trying to learn enough about what it's like for a rider to get in the cart the first time and and realize, wow, it's really bumpy (laughs) kind of information, you know, trying to collect it up in a way that I can 
tell this story in an authentic way is probably the hardest part about creating this book. Mm, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. And But those fresh perspectives are opportunities for you to educate yourself and expand kind of your own knowledge. But then I imagine you probably interview other other competitors or other saddlebred owners so you can understand what what that's like in the background? Is that part of your strategy? Yeah, or to do a lot of research. Thank mm. God for the internet, right? Sure. <laughs> Seriously, though, in the last book, the most recent one, I wanted an ethical quandary, mm. you know, that from a breeder's perspective. How much would they have to share about perhaps a genetic disease that was recessive mm. and perhaps that didn't cause a serious problem. It was something that could be managed with nutrition or perhaps a different exercise or training routine. So I want a kind of a soft genetic problem so that I could talk about the ethics of it. Mm. And so those sorts of um, puzzles, for lack of a better term, in the book are, are really about you know, interviewing your vets and doing a lot of reading and trying to figure out what's what's realistic and practical and likely to happen or even possible to happen without, you know, ending up down some rabbit hole mm-hmm. that that your readers won't find believable. Mm-hmm. So I really try to stay on the credible, practical, realistic side of the equation. That's smart. And I mean, these are, these are actual things that people might really encounter in the world of horses. You know, it's, yeah. it happens to be fictional, but you know, you're kind of educating them on a, on a situation that could very much happen or just enlightening them that there can be things running in the background with, with breeders. So, so you're bringing yeah. real albums to your, your fiction and, and looking up ways to handle that. That's really fantastic. What are you curious about, Sue? What's next? Is there a book five or are you going for a new series? What do you, what do you think is next for you besides winning the Saddlebred Championship, of course? <laughs> oh, of course, right. <laughs> Actually, I'd take a top three in any show and I'd be thrilled. But I think I probably will continue the series, but honestly, I've been dying to write a science fiction book, which is mm. crazy, but I've had a science fiction book outlined for almost a decade. And and I, I think I'm going to try to work that in somehow. I'm excited about it. So that's something ex- different. Yeah, that's super exciting. And, you know, it, it, that's another thing I, I like to you know say with authors and definitely talking on this show. You know, you don't just have to stay with horse books. You can write across genre. You can try new things. You know, it's just horses is what brings us all together, right? And when you're fired up about something, that's your muse telling you that's that's the direction you have to head in, right? It's almost like how steak night came to be for you. It just sort of bubbled up and you got really excited about it and you went you took that course. And now you've got this little science science fiction bug. So it's like, I'm excited to see what you do with that. I can't wait to hear more. <laughs> oh, I hope I hope that I'll actually do it because science fiction is so freeing, right? You can make stuff up. You pull things <laughs> out of thin air all over the place. You don't have to get the, the, the tack right and the heels down and, you know, the right. Exactly. <laughs> They're going to be like alien space horses in there or something. <laughs> No, you know, actually, it's an alternate reality kind of science fiction book. So it's very near term. So people do have pets. So we'll just leave it at that. 
<laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to keep an eye, eye on you and see where you go with it. I'm just, I'm so glad to have made your acquaintance and talk with you. And you are such a joy. I've really loved having you on the show today. Would you let people know or listeners know where they can find you in your books? They can find the books on Amazon. So if they just look on Amazon for Susan Archer uh, or Steak Night Series, and that's S-T-A-K-E, not steak as in we're eating it. <laughs> <laughs> steak and knife. Yeah. <laughs> so the Steak Night Series will show up on Amazon and there's Kindle version and also the the paperback version. I'm big on Facebook, so you can always find me on Facebook, and there's a Steak Night series page on Facebook, so uh, I do a lot of my stuff through there as well. And and you share a lot of fabulous pictures of you riding your celebrants too, which is which is really <laughs> exciting to see. Uh, so, so Susan or Sue, I'm I'm so happy to have you on the show, and, and thank you again for the gift of your time. It's been just a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. It was really fun. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.